You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. Danny Anderson here. I'm an assistant professor of English at Mount Aloysius College in Crescent, Pennsylvania, and I produce this here show, the Sectarian Review Podcast, and I want to welcome you to another episode. If you haven't subscribed yet, please consider doing so. Um, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and also I'd appreciate it if you checked out our Patreon page and considered joining the other people who support the show, um, but at the very least, I'd love it if you signed up with Facebook and Twitter and uh, and kept the conversation going. That's really why I do that, the uh, uh, the subscribers help me pay for uh, stuff, the, the costs of the show. So I'm not actually losing money on this thing. So um, I appreciate that. And I do give you some, uh, some bonus material. If you're interested in that kind of thing, go to Patreon and check it out. I'm not going to belabor that point here which is probably why I don't have enough patrons. But uh, one of the enduring interests of this program is uh, finding something meaningful and interesting in places that people not don't necessarily expect. So we very often look at comics and popular TV to see what we can find. Um, in other words, this is not one of those shows that try to convince you that the things you like actually suck. Uh, it's a really annoying uh, trend for me. Uh, instead, we like to encourage people to take chances on things that they might otherwise dismiss. And I think that the DC Universe show Titans is maybe one of those things. It's on a platform that not many people use, and maybe going away eventually, who knows. Um, uh, though you can find the show on Amazon and other places, I assume iTunes too. It's, uh, it's a dark show, which makes a lot of people crazy. Um, but I really do think that there's something here, though. And I'm excited to talk about some theological angles on the show with Matthew Brake of Popular Culture and Theology. And in addition, Matthew and I want to talk a, a little bit about an upcoming conference that I know a lot of people who listen to the show will be interested in. It's called Theocon. And we'll get into that in just a little bit here. So, But Matthew, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right. Staying busy, but uh, doing all right. Good, good. Um, you've been real busy with uh, the uh, the publishing on the pop culture and theology side. You have a book that's in pre-order right now. Is that right? Yep. Theology in the Marvel Universe is in pre-order. Um, and then soon, uh, Theology in Prince should be uh, pre-order too. In Prince? I was unaware of this one. Oh my, that's, yeah. that's that, really that, great. In theory, that's supposed to be the first one to come out in the series. Um, there was some delay, some miscommunication, like I'm still learning the series editor thing. So it was like, should I send in the manuscripts? Do you send in the manuscripts? The other guy sent in the manuscripts. Did you have, like, so some of those uh, communication issues we've run into. But uh, yeah, those two books should be uh, coming out both in December of this year or so. Ah, exciting times. Um, and I'm sure that people who listen to the show are definitely going to want to uh, listen to those things so or read those things. Excuse me. Go ahead. Which, which let me also point out, these are from an academic publisher, so they come out in hardcover first. So don't be surprised by the price. I promise we're not trying to price gouge. Uh, you know, it just takes a year for them to come out in paperback and, 
you know, in academic publishing, they produce fewer books than in popular publishing. So, so I apologize ahead of time for the prohibitive price, but there's some good material in there if you're interested. And you can get your library to order them. Uh, you can, uh, you can get them that way too. So, and I, that's another thing you can do, particularly with these kind of books is encourage your institutional library or your local libraries to buy these. Um, and that actually helps, um, helps keep it going as well and makes it a kind of permanent. Mm-hmm. artifact for everybody so um yeah the there's really we should do a show at some point about the just sort of economics of academic publishing it's a it's a complicated and and very strange thing that it's hard to believe exists <laughs> but <laughs> because uh, but it does and so uh, uh yeah, that's not for t- today's topic though so uh, i do want to talk about titans i recently kind of pitched an article for your blog that you were nice enough to publish about uh, some theological angle we may or may not talk about it with that show i had only gotten the dc app because of Swamp Thing. I wanted to see Swamp Thing. And then I just started watching Titans and I got really into it actually, surprisingly. So I did not expect to enjoy that show and I really did. And so, um, I kind of ruminated on a bit and then you suggested doing a show about it. Do you want to, um, summarize the just overview of this series? It's the Teen Titans, uh, from the comic books, but, uh, kind of grown up a little bit. Yeah, so the series starts off with uh, the first Robin, Dick Grayson, having moved to, oh gosh, where Detroit, Detroit or Chicago? I think it's Detroit, yeah. yeah. Uh, where he's become a PI, or not a PI, but a, uh, a detective on a police force. He's left Batman's side. He's feeling uh, the weight of having, uh, and he talks about this throughout the series, like the rift between him and Bruce Wayne, uh, how... Uh, in some ways he almost blames Batman for how dark he's become that there's been this because of all the training he's received that it's sort of made him a violent person that he's wrestling against. You end up finding out at one point that he kind of stands by and allows the person who killed his parents to die. Yeah. And so, uh, you have these factors and then you have these other characters. You have Raven who, uh, is this daughter of this demon Trigon from another dimension and, She's being raised by this cult who's going to use her to bring Trigon to the Earth. You have this amnesiac character, this amnesiac alien Starfire, who came to Earth to kill Raven so that her father wouldn't come to Earth. Right. You have you have Garfield Logan, Beast Boy, who is living with uh, this group of quote unquote freaks <laughs> from the Doom Patrol, which spun off into its own thing, which is also real probably the most creative superhero thing happening right now. Uh, and so you have all of them coming together as this unlikely chosen family, um, protecting Raven, growing themselves, outgrowing their past, becoming more than what their past or their birth has made them. Uh, and of course, this is all based on the Teen Titans, which started off in the Silver Age, you know, 60s comics of all the, the, the sidekicks of Wonder Woman, Green Arrow, uh, Batman, Flash coming together. Uh, and so, yeah, you, uh, you have this modern day kind of darker, grittier take on it. Are there elements of this, of these storylines? And there are other kind of ancillary characters like, uh, characters like Hawk and Dove, um, come up a few times in this series. Um, are there elements that of this plot that are taken from significant, t- uh, Teen Titans? Um, someone asked me about, um, J- uh, John's, uh, oh gosh, uh, geez, who's the name? 
Sorry. Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns, yeah. Um, someone had asked me if some element of the Raven story might be adapted from something he had done or something like that. Are you aware of any kind of source material, I guess, is what I'm asking? Uh, I am aware of the um, relationship between Raven and Trigon and how that, that plays out. Like you see it in a, a recent animated animated film, The Justice League versus the Teen Titans, which mm. plays on this idea of Raven and Trigon. I know it has source material in the comic, but I'm unfamiliar. Like I'm not familiar enough with the Teen Titans um, post. Like it's basically my knowledge of the Titans is Silver Age, and then it skips to like the 2000s. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, <laughs> and so, like I know about some of the pre-Infinite Crisis stuff, Graduation Day, and when they killed Donna Troy in the comics and all this. Yeah. Um, and I know about the rebirth stuff when Wally West, the original Wally West comes back in the DC continuity. Okay. So I, I have, I'm not a teen Titans expert in terms of their comics continuity, but, um, so I couldn't point you to the exact story. Okay. Um, fair enough. I, I just, I just, it feels like this is coming from somewhere. And I saw that Jeff Johns was one of the writers on the show and all that, or credited at least. So, um, I'm sure that this does have uh, a lot of intersection with, uh, with the comics, uh, the history of those comics. Um, now my own kind of only, inf- uh, I- exposure to Teen Titans is the Teen Titans Go cartoon because I have young children. And, uh, and so that's been very popular in my household for a long time. And I took her to see the, uh, the movie Teen Titans Go to the movies. And at the end of that movie, there's this sort of like, oh, sort of multiverse moment where the, the previous Teen Titans cartoon versions of them <laughs> like come back into the universe. And I think that on, uh, on those channels now on, was that, is that a Nick show or I don't remember. Is that a Disney show? I don't remember what, uh, where, uh, where that is. but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's a Nickelodeon show, but, uh, on, they now Might have, cartoon. Might be cartoon. Network. It is cartoon network. You're right. Um, but they have a, uh, they have their own like kind of throwback series. Now that's not teen Titans go, which is very, almost like, amazing world of gumball kind of absurdism right um and so this is uh that's my only kind of exposure to these characters as very silly lighthearted for kids right this show is decidedly not right this show is um quite violent um and it's got a uh, lots of language one of the uh the key kind of shocking moments at the in the first episode is when um um, Dick Grayson, after beating up a bunch of guys in an alley as Robin, um, says F Batman, um, you know, and so, and you know, he doesn't, and he uses the entire, uh, term, right? And there's, yes, he does, he doesn't say F Batman. Yes. yes. He says something else. <laughs> yes. You are listening to the Christian Humanist Radio <laughs> Network. Yes. Yes. Exactly. And so, um, it, and it's like, dude, isn't it like on TBS when they edit Die Hard? It's like, yippee kaye, Mr. Falcon. <laughs> Oh man, that's awesome! Yeah, that is a uh, something I love about edited movies is the way that they. Uh, what is the one in the Big Lebowski um, when um, the guy's beating up the kid's car? Um, it's, it's something. This is what happens when you f a stranger in the in the whatever. It changes to something about the Alps. <laughs> you do something across the Alps. I don't remember what it is. It's a hilarious sort of uh, revision. Uh, but that's a sidebar. We're not going to go there today. Um, but the uh, the show is dark. It's got not only um, language and violence. There is also some nudity and some like sexual innuendo. I don't think there's any kind of. I can't remember any uh, simulated sex or anything like that. But um, but 
it is very adult. And so that's been a source of some controversy uh, for a lot of people as this show came out. And I think it's worth like considering um, one of the criticisms of DC's movies and uh, their other properties, their other kind of visual properties, is that they have kind of picked up on the success of the dark night in, in its darkness and have maybe overemphasized that a little bit more than definitely more than Marvel has. Right. And so people have a lot of complaints about DC making everything kind of postmodern and dark. Right. And, uh, um, what are your thoughts on that? First of all, um, I'm okay. You know, I, I do like, uh, some elements of that, like if this happened in real life or, or, or dealing with not, you know, not doing what Marvel does and undercutting everything with a joke, right? Like allowing the seriousness of it to, to be felt while still being fun, still being action oriented. Um, Zack Snyder stuff. I think, I think Zack, Zack Snyder did some interesting. We've talked about this. There's interesting stuff there and I would have loved to have seen his dark side. Um, but I think the problem with Snyder is that like man of steel was just too dark. Like Superman's supposed to be hopeful. And I think, uh, there was just too much of that. Alan Moore, like the bat, the worst type of Alan Moore, Frank Miller copycatting where realism is mistaken for being pessimistic and depressing. Yeah. Same thing with, uh, I do like the idea and it kind of seemed like this is what Snyder was going for, that things would be darkest before the dawn. Mm-hmm. And so Batman versus Superman ends with the death of Superman and these dark images of the future. And I, I think that might have actually led somewhere interesting, but I just think it wasn't paced well. Um, like too much of it was rushing to make up for Marvel's success. I like what the Titans do. I, 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 I believe the character development. I believe the character drama. I believe the history of what's happening. And so I, I do like things that are uh, a little mature, a little more cynical, but can still be um, like if, if it's paced well, if it's plotted well, I think it can be really fun. Yeah. And, and so I appreciate it for that. Like, I, I think they do it well. I think the show was too. I, I kind of like saw that and I thought, oh, here they are again doing what Zack Snyder did, right? And this does not feel very much like Zack Snyder at all, really, um, to me. It is um, it is more like of a realism that does have a kind of weird hope in the, at, the, at the heart of it, right? There's this whole thing about this whole – I mean, Raven is sort of the centerpiece of this series, right? It's all about her, her arc and everybody kind of comes together for one re- reason or another around her. Dick Grayson sort of sees – uh, a mentor to do a better job of mentoring or a mentee, excuse me, to do a better job of mentoring than Batman did. Although Nathan Gilmore always get crashes on me for saying mentee. Apparently that's not a word. I don't know, but um, uh, everyone knows Protégé. what I mean when I say it. Protege. <laughs> Protege. Um, and so, um, and so that's Dick Grayson's connection to her. Gar has a kind of attraction to her, right? Sort of a boyfriend-girlfriend thing there with her. Um, Starfire is sent to kill her, right? But becomes kind of a mother figure instead, right? And so you've got – they're all sort of centered around her. And so um, given that she is sort of the spawn of a demon, right? It's like it would seem silly to not – emphasize the darkness there but this show doesn't necessarily rest there it's about the redemption of that darkness i think at its heart right and so i think that's why it works better than you might be expecting if you just know about the sex and language and violence yeah and i think you know show the darkness is dark you can show people struggling 
Um, I'm okay with that. What I'm not about is the fan fiction murdery Batman that Snyder presents. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I do like about Titans is I think it walks a good line between the better storytelling and artistic darkness of Nolan's uh, universe. I, I do think it sits between what Nolan did that we hold as like basically – I, th- I think it's still the standard of what the best type of superhero movie can be mm-hmm. with Snyder's, uh, you know, taking it the next step and like keeping the grittiness without some of the good consistent plotting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, and I, and I love Snyder's cinematography and I think, uh, in terms of the cinematography, it sits in a place between Nolan and Snyder. Uh, and I also think it sits in a place that's a little bit, uh, that isn't quite where Nolan Nolan's trilogy was at. I think it's a little more cynical than Nolan's trilogy while being not quite, again, the fan fiction murder Batman yeah. area of Nolan's. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Um, and so there's a lot, we've already kind of gotten into this. One of the next thing I want to talk about are things that, that make this show kind of interesting. And, and for me, it was surprising. Like I, I didn't, expect to give it more than just the first episode but part of it is they end the episodes in very kind of um dramatic ways typically that it's very bingeable in that way it's like you kind of want to know where that's going where they end the episode so they do a very good job of that first of all but i do think that um well, so one criticism I read um, in preparation for the thing I wrote for you was that the show is like um, kind of like uh, fragmented. It's like it's all they're, they're all in their separate stories. There's not like a coherent story. And I kind of dismiss that criticism a bit. Or I disagree with it, at least. It's a great observation. They are. It's they're they're in a state of fragmentation. Right. But I think the, sh- the series is about overcoming that fragmentation. And so there's a gradual coming together and you never really get the full Teen Titans as a team moment that you might be expecting. And I personally, and we'll talk about the last episode. Um, I think the last episode was a disaster, <laughs> but you think, you think it was I'm, good. I'm going to have to take some issue with you, Danny. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Let's hold off on that one second. With the exception for me of that last episode, um, I think it does a really good job of, of sort of setting people up in states of crisis um, in which the only way out of it is to kind of um, bond together with other people, right? And so it's it's the idea of team building and community that, that sort of um, uh, drives this. And so that for me is one thing that really works. And we can talk about the individual characters in a little bit. But um, what are some things for you that work um, really well about the show? I mean, I, I'm always a DC continuity Easter egg uh, nerd. So I love that as you go through, because everyone's like, does Superman exist in this world? Does Wonder Woman exist in this world? And as you find out, no, this is a whole comic book world. Yeah. This is a, a world where these characters have a history, where they've worked, they've all worked with their mentors, where these other heroes exist. Um, and so I think I, I love that they kind of address that. Um, and again, this is why I love when Dick has this vision where he returns to Gotham, because you actually see like, no, there's the Joker. There's yeah. Harvey Dent. Like there are all these, uh, and, and the way they deal with like, what would it be like for Gotham to be in the real world? Yeah. Um, which I love cause arrow kind of did the same thing around the same time where like both portrayals of Gotham are as this like crap hole of a city. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like the worst parts of Chicago, the worst parts of, uh, New York when the, 
murder rate was super high. The worst parts of D.C., the worst parts of Baltimore, the worst parts of Chicago, all in one city. And I think they all they kind of show that uh, pretty well. Yeah. Uh, And another thing, in addition to that, so these people are all driven to do what they do. And um, so Dick doesn't have any superpowers. He's just sort of a skilled athlete who has training, right? Um, The same thing with Hawk and Dove. Um, And so, but they show the toll that this kind of work takes on people in really, in really good, really interesting ways, I think. Um, Like uh, Hawk and Hank, I think is his name in the, in the show and his non-superhero form. Uh, It has basically CTE, right? I mean, he's got so many concussions that uh, from what he's doing that he's, he can barely function at this point as a person. Right. And so um, you've got um, some really interesting, that's the kind of realism that Zack Snyder doesn't get into. Right. Um, His is all just sort of dark and gloomy for the sake of being dark and gloomy. This is sort of like a material kind of realism that is, that is um, very tangible and believable. Yeah. And I, and I love, I, you know, and I, I love, actually, I really enjoy the Hawk and Dove element here. So you have these elements of like, you know, when he's, you know, how evil the world can be like villains aren't just like these gimmicky, you know, this is the problem with Marvel is most of their villains are, are terrible. But even you have these street level villains where the one guy's like going to like chop off his, uh, yeah. Can I, <laughs> what, what word can I say on here? Shlong, um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna make nathan mad (laughs) (laughs) um yeah he's talking about doing that and then you have this whole history where uh dove and robin had hooked up in the past and like this reality that as these characters interact it's sort of like when they talk about the olympic village during the olympics how like (laughs) people just go like everyone's just going hog wild and there are condoms everywhere (laughs) it's like barrels Um, of condoms they're handing out right yeah so, you know, you kind of get that element. Um, I love that they went into uh, the previous version of Dove here because in the comics you had these two characters, Hawk and Dove, which were originally two guys. Um, and then the original Dove gets killed and then you have the new Dove. So I love that they brought in Don, like the original Donnie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and so th- there are interesting ways that they're being faithful to, again, continuity is important for me and I, I think that they've, They've done some interesting stuff to sort of honor the source material. Yeah. So it's it's like if, if you could have had Zack Snyder's cinematography and tone with better plotting uh, and better writing, I think you could end up with something like the Titans. And I, I would have been okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and let me just say, I think, again, going back to the idea of fragmentation, there are entire episodes that break the continuity of the series, right? There'll be something that happens in the ep- end of episode, say, four. I'm just making that off the top of my head. And you're expecting resolution in, in episode five, and it goes off and starts doing backstory flashbacks of Hawk and Dove, right? And so, um, and it completely leaves. Um, I think this was when uh, Corey was about to kill Raven, and, and it sort of ends on that note, and we're waiting to see what happens, and the entire next episode is about something else altogether, right? And, and I think that... Um, there's something about uh, it's almost in terms of cinema uh, criticism. We talk about uh, that form of editing that Eisenstein uh, uh, that kind of developed this uh, montage editing is what they call it, in which you put two sort of non uh, incongruous images next to each other. And the viewer then creates a connection between them. Right. And so I think, 
the criticism of this show is sort of fragmented and uh, difficult to follow or whatever, I think is part of what they're going for. I think you're, they're yeah. supposed, we're supposed to draw these connections between Hank's um, tra- trauma of losing his brother uh, and, uh, and his kind of instigating this fraught relationship with Dawn um, as the new Hawk and Dove. Um, that is placed right in the middle of Corey deciding whether or not to kill Raven. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And I think we're supposed to draw some connection between those two events, right? So there's an artistry to it is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I think those, I don't think that's like bad storytelling. I don't think it's like, again, I, 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 I hate to keep doing this to Snyder, but it's not like when <laughs> Snyder paces his movies. Like, I, I feel like there's an intentional artistic creative decision here that I actually think is interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's, it's bad writing. I think it's interesting to kind of like, as you put it, looking at this fragmentation of these different character stories and these fragmented lives that are coming together and heading towards a conclusion. Yeah. Um, and another thing, uh, uh, going to the fragmented life, right? So let's let's focus on Robin, uh, on Dick Grayson. Excuse me. Uh, we have to make that distinction when we talk about mm-hmm. this show for reasons I'll explain in a second. Um, so Dick Grayson is the original Robin. He's the circus acrobat whose family was killed and was adopted by Bruce Wayne and raised to be mini Batman, right? And and to uh, and to be as dark as Batman was. And so he has this almost like psychic break. Um, he, we, he enters the series having experienced this psychic break. There's the him who's a good person, but then there's the person who wears the Robin suit and who does terrible things to people, right? And so he feels there's almost a Jekyll and Hyde sort of thing going on with him in that suit. He eventually burns this suit, which I assume means he'll be Nightwing in uh, in the second season. I, I don't know what else to do with that, right? And so, um, so his um, he's fragmented in his own psyche, right? And in addition to that, as if to ramp that up, he meets Jason Todd, who's like a successor to Robin, who who is now the new Robin, right? And this is a guy who relishes the violence, right? And so mm-hmm. Dick Grayson is able to kind of see a alternate version of himself and interact with that uh, as a kind of moral lesson for his own kind of personal development, right? And so I think that that's a very, very smart and uh, and clever thing to do as a series. I've actually been kind of tossing around an idea to pitch to you. Uh, I guess I'll talk to you about it off air <laughs> so, um, about this idea of like alternate selves in comics and things like that. The, and, the, uh, the answer is yes. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> well, we'll talk about it off air anyway, but, um, but, but, that there's a that's something that I, comics can do because of the nature of the storytelling, and I think that this uh, of the nature of the medium, and I think this show incorporates that capability very well into this television medium, in in which Dick Grayson has sees there's multiple versions of himself that he has to uh, navigate and and choose the best version of kind of and how does he make how does he come to those decisions and and so that's like one way in which we look at one character that I think we can see a lot of really interesting kind of moral work going on yeah, this this is where I appreciate Johns as a writer uh, you know he was the COO of DC Entertainment and was doing some really cool stuff in the comics but he also inherited you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League and got got some crap for that and ended up, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's one of the reasons things got reshuffled. And so they kept him as a writer and a creative uh, creative talent. But, you know, the, I think the comics and 
their continuity has suffered. And I think, you know, I think he got a bad deal, Mm. but I think in Titans, like you see, uh, you know, if he had been given the free reign, even with the movie universe that Kevin Feige had with uh, Mark, because they, they didn't, it was, you know, Warner brothers is, was making a movie by committee. If they were to give someone like Jeff Johns, the free reign that Feige has, they could have probably done something really interesting. Yeah. So, but this is what I'm saying. I think this is what the show is doing too. So he's inherited DC, which has been like shattered into a million fragments of, of mess. Right. Uh, And, and he uses those fragments to create something kind of new and and redemptive. Right. Uh, And I think that that's kind of what the show is about. Really. It's interesting. And he honors the source material with that. You're saying how you can do something in comics that you might not be able to do with other media, other medium. Yeah. This is him honoring the comics as comics. Mm -hmm. Like he can trust the source material and he's trying to translate that source material into something on the screen. And I think it works. Yeah. Some people don't like John's for different reasons, but you know, I, I like him. I mean, I've seen work. I wasn't the biggest fan of blackest night and brightest day and some of these other stories, but I love infinite crisis um, I love Rebirth. I love Doomsday Clock, even though it's super delayed. Like I, I, I love his Lightning Saga. Like you know, his deep repertoire of the DC universe and of appreciation for the comics, stories, history, medium connections. I think I think you see it play out in some of these storytelling decisions you're talking about. Yeah. Um, re- regarding Jason Todd, wasn't it super hard to watch that scene when he beats up the cops? Yeah. Yeah, but, well, because at that moment we don't know that it's Jason Todd. Like we think it might be Dick Grayson, right? Uh, it's it's open to interpretation until it's revealed, right? If my if my memory is correct, it's been this summer since I've seen this. No, no, because remember he grabs the one cop, you know, by the arms and stretches him out. He's like, night, night, a hole, yeah. whatever. And he like, <laughs> like he he's brutal with the cops, man. Like he like I feel bad for them because they're like getting terrorized by this little punk. And and throughout the series, you're wondering when you see Dick being as violent as he is, you see Jason. Like you always sort of wonder, like, does Batman kill in this universe? Does Batman terrorize the cops? And then you always have these comments that, re- like, okay, no, Batman works with Superman. Batman doesn't kill. Batman doesn't beat up cops. And but you you do kind of wonder about who is this? You are kind of left wondering what is the nature of Batman in this universe? Like it's. You know, when you're just following Dick Grayson's perspective and watching the behavior of these protégés, you kind of wonder, like, what are the heroes like? Yeah, uh, and yet that's a great way to that's a great way to think about this now because these are all protégés um, of, of other people, right? So even Starfire is doing somebody else's bidding, right? And it seems to me in the trailer for the season two, someone from her planet must enter this world and try and and admonish her for not killing Raven or something like that is where I'm guessing. Um, but, uh, so they all have, they all come from some place in which they have been under the tutelage of somebody else, right. Or they're under the authority of somebody else. And and now they're trying to figure out um, what to do otherwise. And so Jason Todd is a really interesting, um, example because he is like, yeah, he is like a total, he has no problem with the violence and he doesn't distinguish between beating up cops and beating up, um, criminals, right? And so he doesn't have the moral code that Batman has, but it does make you ask the question about Batman's tutelage, um, from the get go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, just to sort of, I think briefly summarize one of the points that I made in the thing that I wrote for you is that the, we, I think I can see sort of two <laughs> forms of, character here so robin and beast boy both are part of communities that 
are messing them up in some ways, right? And so they they have to exit those communities to be healthy, right? Raven and Starfire are both coming from places because Starfire can't remember anything, right? Um, where they have they're coming from nothing, looking for anything, right? And so you have two different kinds of quests there. And so the idea that um, Robin is coming from a community that is kind of got something wrong with it in its leadership is is a really important thing and it does make you ask like what is batman doing yeah yeah i I think that's a good way of of talking about it It, the doom patrol episode is really interesting and really fun to watch because it acts as a backdoor have you watched doom patrol yet i haven't gotten to it i got so caught caught up in other things this summer i haven't even finished swamp thing um i got behind on it and then i never got caught up so i need to do that next week Doom Patrol is really, it, it, like I said, it's probably the most original, unique superhero thing that exists right now. Uh, but it, it, is, uh, it is interesting to watch it uh, in terms of like how the, the head, uh, how the doc, how the chief mm-hmm. is portrayed in Teen Titans where you really see like this really negative controlling side of him. And then thinking about that in terms of how you picture Timothy Dalton, who who reprises the role in Doom Patrol, mm. um, watching like okay, the, yeah, there's a there's a dark underbelly to the things the chief does and uh, the ways he operates in the world. That's interesting. I didn't realize that they replaced that actor, um, and so Timothy Dalton is that role now, huh? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's interesting because he was actually great in Penny Dreadful. I don't know if you've ever seen that um, Showtime mm. series. It is one of my favorite things ever i am not a binge watcher and i actually binge watched that thing um and it was a uh, uh largely tim timothy dalton I, it was just nice to see an older actor like that get a role in which <laughs> they can sort of thrive but it's a similar thing he's got this kind of like darkness to him um in in his role as leader of this of this band of monster hunters in this case right but um no that's interesting and so yeah um and so batman is the same thing right he he means to do good but the means by which he choose the means he chooses to do good um are actually causing like psychological damage to people who are under his care right and so i think it's one of the interesting complications and one of the reasons then that motivates dick's avoidance of leadership uh, roles in this series he's constantly running off on his own because he i think psychologically doesn't want to be in charge of anybody yeah, and, and that's the sort of a there. There's probably you know both of those leaders are patriarchal. Uh, both of them are like bad father figures who are controlling, and like you feel like you're you don't realize how oppressed in your own house you are until you leave. Yeah, and then you have to deal with the damage of where you've come from and how you've been uh, damaged by it. And you see both of those journeys. Beast Boy, you know, Beast Boy goes through his own intense arc. Like he ends up killing a guy in one of his uh, animal forms and he feels sort of that some of the bloodlust of uh, some of the forms that he takes and he has to wrestle with that afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Does he only turn into a tiger? I think in this, in this season, is that the yeah. only animal so far that we've seen him turn into? Cause in uh, teen Titans go, he just like pops into <laughs> like anything randomly. Right. And for the purpose of jokes more, more often than not. Right. Um, and so this case, it's like, it's basically just a tiger. And then at some point um, in an act of defending somebody, I forget who at this point, um, he actually 
kills somebody, right? And, yeah. and has to sort of live with that, that kind of guilt. And so this is not a show, despite its violence, that takes violence and death um, unseriously, right? I think yeah. that's a um, a criticism I have of like Quentin Tarantino when I go back and watch his old movies. I just am a little turned off at how flippantly they deal with death, right? And so this is not yeah. a show that does that despite the fact that it's violent. Yeah. And that might, again, provide a contrast to Snyder where Batman's just like killing fools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right <laughs> um so there i do have any kind of thoughts on if you were to take a bring a theological angle to talking about the show like what would you talk about uh maybe the nature of the cult following uh it, it is interesting how uh religion and a lot of dc stuff like there it's not that it's all bad but uh you have this cult of followers that's trying to raise. It's a this, doomsday cult, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have a doomsday cult that's trying to use Raven to uh, bring her father to earth. And some of the language is about deliverance of the chosen. Yeah. You get a similar thing in doom patrol, actually the, how this particular child that's born is marked by tattoos and words and is the, will give birth to, uh, the uncreator. Ah, interesting. So, uh, in the comics, you know, when in Smallville, like whenever Darkseid, you know, Darkseid uses this language of being God incarnated. Uh, in Smallville, there's this idea of the apocalypse and of the second coming and of the rapture of the chosen. I mean, there, there's mm-hmm. always this language, and it's always, um, you know, I think as a Christian, I start to, and I understand, like, I don't accept that dispensational theology, but I still have ideas about the second coming and the end of the world. And it does sort of like cause me to look at my, you know, own language and own thought process about my faith and go, am I really dark into like, like looking at this from the outside, like, you know, is the only way to really be a hero and a good person? Like, can you not be religious because of this dynamic? Like (laughs) is the only way to really be a hero is to believe in this sort of, nihilistic existential freedom where like you fight in the face you fight for good in the face of a purposeless world because that's kind of what happens with these heroes like you can either be a part of the doomsday the doomsday cult or you can just be this sort of broken damaged person making your way in the world and just trying to do the right thing even though it's an absurd universe yeah i think that doomsday cult is really interesting to uh to look at and i think talking about it Will let us talk about that last episode, and we can have a little debate about the last episode of the first season, um, because that's where Trigon does sort of enter into the world, right? And so, yeah. um, but the Doomsday Cult is interesting because it's very, like, f- in a formal sense, it's set up in a very kind of like conservative fundamentalist way, right? You've got this. Uh, um, kind of corporation if you want to call that the church right um that uh is engineered basically to uh to usher to find raven so they can bring um trigon into the world and they use these kind of brainwashed families as like indestructible hit people is that from the comics by the way i that was a completely new thing for me but uh, uh but yeah so they they find these families that are very mother father daughter son right and, like and mormon families very much and they're very kind of straight-laced and and brutal right and so i do think they're 
there is a kind of critique of fundamentalist religion, <laughs> like in the yeah. depiction of that family um, and that whole like cult then because of, yeah. Um, yeah. I have no idea if it's a thing from the, the comics or not. Again, I'm not, I'm not a team Titans uh, comic fan necessarily. I, I do want to go back and buy John's run on the issues, but yeah, I'm not sure. But yeah, I think, like I said, it's sort of like the, the South Park episode where they make fun of Mormons and you have this like really conservative put together Mormon family, right? Yeah. That's what they are, right? They're very orderly. They sit at a table and eat dinner in orderly ways, right? And then when it's time to kill, it's time to kill, right? And they're brutal, right? And so it's like a, um, I, it's very thinly veiled, I think, critique of sort of like a family values driven fundamentalist religion. And, and so, yeah, I think that that was, uh, that was one thing that stood out. It's a remarkable creation. I mean, it's a really great, um, storyline and character. Um, and so, yeah, that, that is definitely a way to uh, kind of bring a theological like angle to this. And they do in fact um, get a hold of Raven and convince her to usher Trigon in, uh, into the, in the last episode. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I thought, so my critique of that last episode is that it just completely stalled the, the, the development of everything we've seen so far. And now when I watch the, the trailer for season two, uh, which drops on September 6th or 9th or something like that. Um, and so by the time this releases, you'll, it'll already be out. It doesn't look like it picks up that thread anywhere. I don't see Trigon anywhere. It's Deathstroke and, and there's new Titans. And, and so I felt like, I don't know. I just felt like it was a very, uh, I, I felt like as a, its own entity, it was incredibly well crafted. Okay, but I felt like it didn't belong in the series, and that's sort of my my criticism of it. But defend it for me, or talk me into why why I'm wrong here. Well, maybe they're going for the Star Trek: The Next Generation thing. Remember how in the later seasons, the season finale would be a two parter, and it would pick up in the first episode of the next season. Okay, I see. So so maybe that's the angle they're going with it, and then the Deathstroke arc will pick up. This would make sense. Uh, as far as I, in terms of the, well, I, I liked the, so if the episode was standalone and there wasn't this element of narrative interruption, I love that Batman appears and he's always shadowy and there's this fight between the two. Yeah. But, but it serves to, um, darken Dick's soul. Remember it does serve a narrative purpose because then Dick ends up confronting Batman. He ends up having this, uh, you know, he gets to act out on the resentment he feels towards Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. and where, and he kills him in this, in this vision or whatever. And that's what darkens his soul. That's what allows Trigon in. So it does relate to the overall story and it'll be interesting to see how season two picks up because Bruce Wayne's going to appear in it. Yeah. Yeah. We've um, seen him in the preview. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh he's older uh, looking than I would have expected actually. Yeah. I, I thought, uh, uh, Jorah Mormont was an interesting choice for Bruce Wayne. Um, for and so Game, I'm Game of Thrones, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so I'm wondering if uh, how good his American accent will be. <laughs> um, or maybe he is American and he was doing a very poor, roughly British accent. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think those threads will, will flow. I hope they flow a little better, but I... I don't hate that episode. I, I feel, feel like it gives you some fan service, lets you see some stuff happen, because like he beats him with uh, Freeze's gun. Yeah. Um, oh no! Uh, Batman uses Freeze's gun on Starfire and kills her. Yeah. Uh, and then Dick Grayson, you know, 
gets to kill Batman. He gets to act on, you know, I, you know, I hate these type of like surfacey analogies, but you know, if you hate your brother, you've already murdered him. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where I was just going though. That, Cause this does have a very satanic feel, right? So Trigon is a demon of some sort, mm-hmm. right? From another dimension. And now he, he's entered into the, our universe and Dick Grayson rushes into the house to um, rescue Raven. He doesn't know what's happened already inside the house. And um, he basically enters into a dream world, kind of, right? And so, and it's basically laid out as a series of tests for him, right? He's um, uh, uh, begins in this kind of happy California life, married to Dawn of Hawk and Dove with uh, a family and a pool. And it's just like this sort of idyllic life. And she's nine months pregnant or something uh, with her second child. And so you've got this, um, he begins at this like high point out of nowhere, right? And then he's called back to help Batman out into in Gotham and you get we get we see Gotham and it's this like hellhole right it's this uh a horrifying place on earth right and then in his quest for Batman uh, to try to bring Batman to justice before he does something um evil and kill kill someone um he is put in a situation where he has to make moral choices himself right and so he's being tempted basically this whole series this whole last episode is almost like the Satan in the wilderness with Christ, right? Um, and offering him all these things if he'll make a bad decision, right? And so there's clearly a theological sort of allegorical way to see this. Um, and one thing that I did find really interesting about it, um, I guess the, my complaint was I was wanting resolution for the show itself or for the series itself, right? I wanted the team to be together ready for the next season. All right. And so maybe I'll be satisfied with the way the next season begins. But um, one thing I thought that was really interesting though, was that there are moments where Dick Grayson makes the right choice. And then there's like a reset goes on kind of like, he's like, okay, let's try it this way. And then until he makes the wrong choice. Right. And then he puts him into this ultimate decision where he decides to kill Batman um, out of kind of a feeling of, there's nothing else I can do. So it's almost like justified in his mind, yet it is still an evil act, right? And therefore he is, his soul is tarnished and his eyes turn black, right? And so um, I thought that it was a really clever device um, about temptation and uh, the temptation of evil. Yeah, and I think also you see Dick's resentments in this dream, right? Because he basically, it's like my life would be perfect if I wasn't drawn back into this world. I would be with the woman I love. We'd be happy. We'd have a family. And I keep getting drawn back to freaking back, freaking <laughs> Batman, right? Like it's sort of this idea that Batman has made me this murderer. He's made me this killer. He's made me this thing that my life would be happy otherwise. Yeah. Right. And so those resentments play out that you see throughout the entire series. Yeah. That you can't get you can't get rid of what he's done to me. Yeah, exactly right. And so and then so the show then kind of shows in some ways that it's wrong to blame Batman because I mean Dick Grayson does still have agency right, and he does have the option to make good choices right, and and he seems to have made a good one. Like right before this is when he burns the, the Robin costume. He wants to make a break of that. He heroically runs in to sacrifice himself to try and save um, Raven. So, um, and yet there's still something inside of him that he has to resolve. And I think it'll be interesting to see the actual Bruce Wayne enter this world in the next series, uh, in the next season. So, um, um, I, I'm 
lots more we could say about Titans. Um, do you have anything else you want to add? But I do want to like pivot to Theocon. Um, sure. I think that uh, that's a, a a conference that's sort of set up, uh, as I understand it. I haven't been to one yet to do this kind of thing, <laughs> basically, mm-hmm. right? So do you want to tell us a little bit about that and when it is and, and, and talk about maybe our previous uh, versions of it and that kind of thing? Yeah, so uh, the date for Theocon, it's actually, uh, there are two dates to keep in mind. Uh, September 26th, we're uh, showing Into the Spider-Verse on the campus of Messiah College in Mechanicsburg, PA. Mm-hmm. And then on the 28th, that Saturday, we're having the, the full-day conference uh, so we have uh, a few plenary sessions, one, one with uh, A. David Lewis, who's written the comic book character Kismet, who was like the first Muslim superhero in the 40s. And mm-hmm. David, David got the copyright because it had lapsed and is now writing new stories about this character. Uh, and then you have uh, a number of other, another plenary uh, with, with a contact from Shane, as I can't quite remember. Uh, but I, I think the person who's speaking at the second one writes about uh, rights that are in Hindu comics, Hindu themed comics. Mm-hmm. There are some different sessions. We're having a few different podcasters come do sessions like you and uh, Chris Maverick are doing something. Uh, Brian Bennett and some others are doing some stuff with church of the geek. Uh, Josh wise from all ports open is doing some stuff on death as a character and avatar and video games in the Bible. Uh, Andy Walsh, who does uh, faith in the multiverse He's going to be there to talk about science fiction and religion. So you have some different uh, different uh, people coming to present. Uh, Theocon was actually started last year um, by Shana Watson, who's a reverend in the Episcopal Church. It was held at Virginia Theological Seminary. Uh, and so I, I found out about it like, like after the call for papers had closed and everything. But it's right around the corner for me. So I went, met Shana got involved with this group. Uh, and so she had some different plenary sessions, uh, with James McGrath, Chuck Robertson, um, both of whom, you know, James does a lot of stuff with pop culture and theology and religion. And then Chuck, uh, wrote an essay in the book gospel according to superheroes Mm -hmm. on Nietzsche and Batman, which, uh, you had heard me give my talk about when we were at the Batman conference and right. then, you know, James was a friend of his, so he kind of took Chuck's position. Um, and so, uh, that's when I got involved in this group. So basically the day is laid out. You have your opening ceremonies, your welcome, one or two plenaries, and then breakouts talking about everything from, uh, religion and video games, religion and Stephen King and Octavia Butler and comic books and, uh, and different movies. And so, uh, and, and it goes from about nine to five. So it's an all day, all day deal with some different sessions. So it'll be in Messiah this year because Virginia Theological Seminary is doing some remodeling. Okay. Very cool. And then next year it's in Pittsburgh. Is, is that the plan still? There, there, I'm, maybe I should have, maybe I should have cleared that before I brought it up on yeah. here. <laughs> there is talk about it being in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Cause there's, it looks like there are some open doors there and Brian Bennett, uh, has, I think he works there. So, but there are some connections there with, uh, in Pittsburgh that we might, we might end up doing it there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that, that's not necessarily a for sure thing, but, um, and so I also saw something about like cosplay. Do people like dress up for this? Okay. 
Yeah, uh, last year we had a few cosplayers, so we had like some stuff, Green Lantern, and like some other. Like, it's not like you have to dress up as theologians. This is very much <laughs> trying to emulate the. Uh, I mean, you could um, <laughs> wear a suit, and all of a sudden you're Carl Bart. Um, <laughs> and so, <laughs> wear a suit, have a mistress, Carl Bart. There you go. Um, but uh, yeah, so you can cosplay and. It, you know, we definitely uh, want to create an atmosphere that's um, welcome to people of all ages and to families as well. So I think last year we had a story corner if pe- if for kids, if uh, parents brought their kids. Mm. But yeah, we encourage cosplay. Um, it is not just uh, for Christians, but this is a uh, multi-faith event mm-hmm. and an interreligious event. So we do encourage multiple people from any tradition to come. And so, uh, yeah, but cosplay is definitely welcome here. We are definitely trying to create a theologically oriented Comic-Con. Yeah, that's cool. I've been plugging it on the show um, over since I've come back from uh, my little sabbatical here uh, as much as I can. Uh, and I think it's actually a pretty nice like kind of parallel thing for, you know, here where I work at Mount Aloysius College, we have a charity con. And this is much more uh, on the side. I mean, there's like vendors and things like that, along with um, some academic presentations sprinkled out through the, throughout the day. So I think these two things kind of work together in tandem. And uh, that my ours will be on November 9th of uh, 2019. Uh, and it's a fun thing. And all the proceeds go to charity. This year's theme is fantasy. There's a big dragon on the logo for it this year and all that. Uh, and there will be podcasts being recorded there from the floor and and that kind of thing and so yeah there's a lot of really interesting ways i think to connect um just a entertainment interest of pop culture with the way we think about god and uh and and how we kind of conceive of the good life and ethics and all that sort of thing and and i think they're a handy vehicle uh to kind of uh think about those kinds of issues and 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 in a way that might be appealing to people who are not going to sit down necessarily themselves and read carl barth right (laughs) and so so, no i think it's uh yeah go ahead well, and I, I want to point out, I, I'm kind of realizing that all the names I mentioned were, were men. Um, and, and this is one issue we ran into this year, me and Shana and the team were talking about. Um, if there's anyone listening, um, we definitely want people of multiple um, faith traditions, religious traditions, uh, and then, you know, as diverse as a event as we can have. Mm. So if please feel free to reach out to us if you're interested in doing something. Um, Even though the call for papers is passed, you mean? It, yeah, yeah. We, we can't, we can't. And, and there are different, there are non-white men on the schedule. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, none of them are headliners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, or they're a part of presentations that have been put together by people like Josh and, and Brian. And so, uh, so that is something we are, we are trying to improve on. And so we are definitely, we definitely want, uh, uh, as many voices as we can, uh, to respond to our calls for papers in the future. Um, you know, and, and basically we, we were able to accept almost everybody who did actually submit something to us. Um, so please feel free, like if you think you should, it doesn't have to be an academic presentation. Like we are open to fans doing stuff that's not academic, but is still looking creatively at some element of pop culture and how it might relate to religion or even moral philosophy. So yeah, please, please, please. Uh, 
if you would be interested in participating in the future, please uh, just reach out to us. Yeah, and the other plenary speaker is uh, Ram Devanini, um, who's um, like you Rob, said. That yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah, and so there, yeah, there is a clear effort in in diversifying. Um, the, at the level of plenary speakers, right? And so, um, no, that's that's really great. And so, so yeah, I'm very excited about going to Theocon, and uh, and I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what this is like and seeing the presentations from other people who have really great podcasts that uh, I do follow and who write things that I've read. And so, it's going to be a really interesting um, collection of uh, of really cool people in one place. And so, I'm very excited to go. And uh, and Masai is only like three hours from where I live, and so I'm more than happy to make the trip up there. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I wonder if I can make an arrangement to meet John Fia. He uh, he teaches there actually uh, in the history department at Messiah. So that would be pretty cool. We should have invited him. He's big into Bruce Springsteen. He could have done a presentation on Bruce Springsteen and uh, theology. So you, sh- you should tell him to come anyway and then make it uh, extra credit for uh, his students to come, <laughs> which you and Matt need to do. <laughs> I've been, yeah, I've been actually good. I've been pushing it already. So yeah. And I've actually sent emails to my colleagues uh, trying to get them to come up with me to come, come and uh, hang out for the day. And uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. So, um, Matthew break, anything, uh, to add? Nope. Come to Theocon. Uh, the website is theocon.live. Uh, there's an event bright where you can register. If for whatever reason, uh, money is an issue, please just feel free to shoot me an email at pop theology at gmail.com. I'm sure Andy, Andy, <laughs> Danny can put it in the foot, uh, the footnotes, the notes. <laughs> You're such um, an academic. <laughs> Uh, you know as always check out pop pop uh popular culture and theology the website i'm always looking for bloggers you don't have to be an academic to blog but uh you can write something that's substantially religious or theological uh from any tradition uh i mean i have a few open calls for papers right now these you might have to be an academic for uh the one that i'm really starting to push for is uh for the religion and comics series i edit with david lewis on gin and comics mm. so gin the intermediary uh kind of spiritual creatures uh who aren't angels aren't demons but are, are something else um gin and comics uh, if you have an idea please shoot it my way because uh, we are definitely looking for contributors for that volume uh there is a batman and theology volume that currently has an open call uh, I think the DC Universe theology volume will have closed by the time this reaches air. Mm. But the Batman and Gen ones uh, are currently out until um, October. And then if you're a little late on submitting a submission, you can always be a little late. Um, it's not like I get them and then check the very next day. And then and, uh, there should be an upcoming Spider-Man call for papers for the theology and pop culture series. Yeah, I've just... Uh you know, I can't resist a pun. And so I'm sure that there's some like reformed pop culture pop podcast out there already called gin and comics, right. With the G I N. Right. And so, um, <laughs> <laughs> Those guys like to drink Stop. all the time. <laughs> so, uh, no, J-I-N-N. <laughs> exactly. Or B-J-I-N-N. Right, right. G-E-N-I-E. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and if you go to sectarianreviewpodcast.com, as always, I'll try and throw as many of those links as I can remember uh, into the show notes and uh, and help you get in contact with all the really cool resources. Uh, Matthew Brake, I'm really, really grateful. Thanks so much for joining me uh, for another conversation. You're welcome back anytime. I always enjoy talking to you. And 
And uh, uh, for everybody listening, uh, check out uh, Matthew Brake's uh, uh, blog, uh, Pop Culture and Theology, the book series. And uh, keep listening to Sectarian Review. Let me know what you think. Get, keep in touch and uh, drop me a line every now and then. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you.